You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. options. But I'm telling you, the only message that can save somebody's soul is simple. God loves you. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, died on a cross. He was buried so that your sins might be buried and you might be washed and cleansed as white as snow. And he rose from the dead that you might have life abundant and life eternal forever and ever There are a lot of different religions out there today. Most of them involve a lot of work, expect perfection, and in the end, are worthless. Today, Pastor Danny explains the simplicity of the gospel message. It's good news. Jesus came to earth, he died on the cross for your sins, and was raised to life to live forever with you. All you have to do is believe and to be saved. It's the most important message that there is. It's crucial to share this good news with the world. You're God's ambassador, called to tell others how they can be saved. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Romans chapter 10, as he begins his message, The Christian Commission. book of Romans chapter 10. Grab your Bibles, Romans chapter 10. Let's go back to verse 12. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. A few verses before, it says, that if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's simple, but it's simply profound. And so what we're dealing with is the simple message of the gospel. Chapter 10 opened with the Israelites that they have zeal for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. They miss the simplicity of the message of Jesus. They miss Jesus, and without Jesus and the Jesus of the Bible, you can't be saved. Let me say that again. Without the Jesus of the Bible, you can't be saved. There's no other way. That's not my words. That's God's word. Acts 4, verse 12. There's no other name given to men under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way. So then we go to verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? The word for preaching goes beyond a public speaker like me. It's anyone who has the message and they share it. 
It's the proclamation of the message. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Good news. That's what the word gospel means. Gospel means good news. Let's be real technical. Here's the good news. God loves you. God loves the world. And he loves the world so much that he sent his one and only son. His human name is Jesus. He is the Christ. He means the anointed one. He's the Messiah. He came. He gave his life. He sacrificed himself for the sins of the world. He was buried so that your sins might be buried never to be seen again. He rose from the dead that you might have life, life abundant and also life eternal. That's the gospel. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is, listen carefully, the only message that can save someone's soul. Now, we're going to finish chapter 10 in a moment, but uh, I want us to go from chapter 10, leave a marker there, go to the next book in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it deals with the simplicity of the gospel message. Verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written... I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I'll frustrate. Where's the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached. It's simple to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. They're looking for something a little deeper. But we preach Christ crucified. Stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles. But to those of whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Some people miss it just because of the simplicity of it. They're looking for something deeper. And if you want something deeper, it's out there. You can go not far from here and get something deeper. You can go to the Mecca of Scientology, Clearwater, Florida. You want something deeper? There it is. You say, what do you mean it's deeper? Well, let me give you the basic beliefs of Scientology. Scientology means the study of knowledge. And so if you want something that's more knowledge, you know, and you're going to feel smarter, you know, once you arrive in your Scientology search. Well, the core beliefs, uh, they get some of it right. They believe that a human is immortal, that you're a spiritual being uh, resident in a physical body. Well, the Bible declares that we are. We're a spiritual being living a, in a human body. You're a spiritual being having a human experience. They call, though, the spiritual being a theton, a theton. And the goal is to get your theton, what they call clear. Now, we're not going to get into all the deep things of it, but the core belief is that you're a spiritual being resident in a physical body, but you've had innumerable past lives. Some of which, yeah, some of which 
preceding your arrival on earth, you lived in extraterrestrial cultures. You could say it another way. You were an alien. I'm not trying to make fun of them. That's what they believe. You lived in other worlds, and then now you're here on earth. You're a thetan. And your goal is to become clear. Well, how do you do that? Well, the ultimate goal in Scientology is that you, through your effort and through the Scientology knowledge, which you got to go to a lot of classes and you got to give a lot of money too, uh, you, you, can, you can eventually experience brotherhood with the universe. And there's some very smart and successful people in the world. They're Scientologists. Tom Cruise. He's there all the time. He owns a whole top floor of one of their buildings. John Travolta. There's a lot of smart people. And it's attractive to people that, that want something deeper. And if you want something deeper, I don't advise it, but it's there if you want to go there. Or you could go New Age. Maybe you want to think about Asheville, North Carolina. It's the new Mecca for New Age movement. What do these guys believe? They believe a lot of things, but here's their basic core beliefs. God is everything. It's called pantheism. God is everything and God is in everything. And so, because God is everything, you are God. What you grow is a God. How do you grow? Your mind creates reality. And your experience, your experience validates truth. If you don't like Asheville, you can go to Sedona, Arizona. That's another Mecca. You can go climb up on one of the red rocks up there and meditate, you know, and and you can have a spiritual experience and your spiritual experience will validate the reality of your belief. There are a lot of options, but I'm telling you the only message that can save somebody's soul is simple. God loves you. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, died on a cross. He was buried so that your sins might be buried and you might be washed and cleansed as white as snow. And he rose from the dead that you might have life abundant and life eternal forever and ever and ever. And you can live in a future world where there's no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. That's the gospel. It's good news. It's good news. Here's the rub. Why aren't we sharing it? That's the question. How, how did, how's somebody going to get saved unless we tell them? So we want you to tell them, preacher. I understand that. But do you understand what's called the Great Commission is for every single Christian, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Jesus, before he ascended back to heaven after his death, buried, and resurrection, appeared for 40 days to his disciples, proclaiming the kingdom of God. And then before he left, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, I'm with you to the very end. I'm with you to the very end. So go tell them. Go tell them. It should be a blessing, not a burden. 2 Corinthians 5.20 tells us that we are God's ambassadors. You realize the truth? It's not an illustration. It's a truth. We have a more important responsibility in the world 
then the greatest diplomat, the greatest ambassador to the greatest politician for any country in all of the world. Listen, I pray, I grieve over the, the fresh fighting that's going on in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem. I grieve. I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The Bible tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But more important than the peace of Jerusalem is the peace somebody needs to have with God and the reconciliation between themselves and God. Listen, we are God's ambassadors in our world, and we have the only message that can save somebody's souls. You bring peace here and now, and we want peace here and now, but the greatest peace is the eternal peace you can have. We're ambassadors. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray then that the Lord of the harvest would thrust forth laborers. That's my prayer today. That's my prayer this weekend. That's my prayer for this message. You realize in this one service right here, this one service right here, we have the potential to change the world around us. If we just tell them. There are people in your world that will never be in my world. Can you invite him to church? Absolutely. Should you invite him to church? Of course. But you don't have to wait for me to preach at him. You can tell him. Now, back in Romans 10, we're not done. How's anyone going to preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But verse 16, not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes by hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I asked, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again, I asked, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I'll make you envious by those who are not a nation. Now pause there and let me tell you what he's talking about. I'm going to give it to you in the whole context of this last part of the chapter. But he's talking about God making someone envious, Israel envious, because he's going to save peoples that aren't Israel, nations that aren't Israel, and he's going to save them in such a way that it's going to make them envious. And it's actually going to make them angry. I'll tell you one example, and then we'll read the rest of it, and you'll see what I mean. Matthew tells us that Pilate, the governor, when he stood before Jesus, or Jesus stood before him, and the Jews had turned Jesus over, he knew it was out of envy that they had handed him over. And this verse says, that's what's going to happen. I'll make you envious by those who are not a nation. Why were they envious of Jesus? Because he had a big following. And you know who the following consisted of? It wasn't the religious people. It wasn't the religious leaders. They're the ones that rejected him. They're the ones that turned him over. Who was it? It was the prostitutes and the drug addicts and the tax collectors that were just working for the Roman government for money and were outcast in their own culture. It wasn't the people attending synagogue every week. They were everybody else. So the religious world said, hey, they deserve hell. Those are the people, those are the people that became Jesus' followers. I'll make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. We'll come back to that one in a minute. You'll see that clearly. In Isaiah, he boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. He's talking about people. They weren't 
coming to church. They weren't looking for Christ. They weren't seeking God. All of a sudden, a messenger showed up, told them, and if they just simply believed, uh, they'd be saved. And they believed, and they were saved. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. You know what happened in these last few verses? It's a picture very broadly of the types of fields of harvest, fields of potential harvest. And on the one hand, there's a great harvest. And on the other hand, there's a bunch of religious, calloused, hardened people. Israel, the most privileged people religiously, the most privileged people spiritually, but they've heard it, they've heard it, they know it, and yet they missed it. You know the hardest people to reach for Christ are religious people. You know the hardest people to get really saved are church-going people. That's what the text says. Fascinating when you look at the record. It's absolutely fascinating. The story of Jonah, for example. You talk about making them angry by a nation that has no understanding. God calls a man named Jonah. Jonah, once you go to Nineveh and preach to the Ninevites that they need to repent. If you know the story of Jonah, when God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, you know what he does? He goes, he gets on a boat and he heads the opposite direction. He's running from his call from God. He's running. He's running. He's going the opposite direction. Why? Why wouldn't Jonah go? Why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? One of the names in the Bible connected with ancient Nineveh is a guy named Sennacherib. He, if you read the Old Testament, he was one of the kings of ancient Assyria. Nineveh was the capital of ancient Syria, Assyria. Still today, they are enemies of Israel. If you read the record in history, if you read the record in history, in Nahum chapter 3 and Nahum verse 1 chapter 3, and also verse 9, God talks about the Ninevites, and he blasts the Ninevites. Why? Because they were brutal. They were so wicked. Not only immoral, not only immoral, they were notorious for amputating the hands and the feet of their captives. They wanted to watch them suffer like nobody else suffered. And they would laugh. They would mock them as they victimize them. They would gouge out their eyes. I'm telling you the record of history. On some occasions, they would take the skin off of an enemy and impale them publicly. They were notoriously known for torturing their enemy's children in front of the parents' eyes. It's a record of history. It gives you a little better understanding of why when God said, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to the Ninevites, why Jonah did not want to go. If anybody deserved hell, the Ninevites deserved hell. And God sent the most unlikely, unwilling messenger. The only reason he ended up going is because he ended up three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. 
The fish got sick of him, spit him up on the land, and Jonah decided, well, I better go before something worse happens to me, so I'll go do what God tell me to do. And he goes. And you can imagine Jonah going through the streets of Nineveh. He's not going through there excited about it. He's going through, God sent me here. And, you know, I don't know if he said, I don't want to be here, you know, but God sent me here and he said, you repent. And if you don't repent, you're going to be damned. And he probably went, I don't know if he went, was that loud. Well, God, God sent me here. I, can you hear me? Good. You can't hear me. And he wasn't excited about being there. He didn't want them. He didn't want them to hear the message because he knew that they might, might actually repent and God would forgive them. And that's exactly what happened. And if you read the story of Jonah, he goes off on a pity party and God has to deal with him and his attitude because of God's mercy toward his bitter enemies. Now you contrast that with the most privileged people spiritually and the most privileged people on the planet religiously, the Israelites. Nobody has had the revelation of God and communication from God as clearly, as repeatedly as the people of Israel. And for them, because they're God's choice, not because he doesn't love the world, but he chose a people to reveal himself to with the intention that he'd reveal himself to the world through them. And so for them, he doesn't send a Jonah. He sends Jesus. He sends his one and only son. He sent the most perfect human being. He sent the most perfect messenger. He sent the perfect guy. And they crucified him. I put in my notes, (laughs) if you have the opportunity, go fishing for Jesus where the fish are biting. Because the toughest place to reach people is the religious crowd. The toughest place to reach people is the church. It's my prayer. It's my earnest desire. And I don't want to just preach it. I want to do it. I'm starting to get so busy now in the new ministry that I'm I'm having a challenge. I'm having a challenge. But God, help me. I don't want to just stand here and preach. I want to go out. I want to go where, I want to go where people are biting Wouldn't it be wonderful for the next couple of years, wouldn't it be wonderful if all these open chairs were filled with new converts, the former prostitutes right around the corner, the people that are homeless, the people that that aren't looking for God. The religious world would be envious of us as a church, just like they were of Jesus. I just get Jesus bumps when I think about the stories in the Bible of people coming to salvation, especially New Testament. For example, I love the story in Luke chapter 19, a man named Zacchaeus. Years ago, I got an image in my mind because it says he was a short man. He's a chief tax collector. That means he's an outcast of his own Jewish brothers and sisters because he's working for the Romans just for money. He's a short man, chief tax collector. And I got the image in my mind, he looked like the actor Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito, a little short guy. Every time I think of Zacchaeus, I think of Danny DeVito. And he lived in Jericho. Jesus is coming through Jericho, and he hears about it, and so he wants to to get a look at Jesus. He's just curious. He's not a synagogue attender. He's not looking to be saved. You know, he's just curious. He hears a lot about this guy Jesus. And so he climbs up a sycamore fig tree to get a look at Jesus. 
And Jesus comes walking through Jericho, and boy, was Zacchaeus shot when Jesus gets closer and closer and closer. And next thing you know, he's right there with Zacchaeus. He's up the tree, and Jesus comes, and he trees Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, <laughs> come down from there. I got to go to your house. Zacchaeus scurries down. Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house, and somewhere in the conversation there at the house that day, Zacchaeus' heart is changed, and he believes in Jesus, and he receives Jesus as Lord and Savior. We're so glad that you joined us for today's edition of The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our listening audience. If you'd like to hear today's message from the Book of Romans again, or hear more from Pastor Danny Hodges, visit ccfstpete.church. You're also invited to join our Bible reading plan. Just look under the Resources tab on our website for more information. As you make your way through the Bible, you might be surprised how something you read hits your heart exactly where you're at or what you're going through. God's Word has a way of doing that, and it's unmistakably God's way of speaking to you. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment to ask you to partner with us here on The Living Word. Would you join with us in praying for the listeners of this program? You never know how someone might be impacted by hearing about God over the radio, even if they weren't intending to. Pray that listeners would be open to hearing the gospel message. Pray also that we'd continue seeking God's will for this program in teaching the Word and reaching the world. We'd also like to ask you to pray about supporting The Living Word financially. If you feel led, you can find a way to do this through our website, ccfstbete.church. Just click on the Give tab. We're so grateful for your support. Thanks for praying, giving, and listening here on The Living Word.